Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slasher U, a college basketball podcast from Slasher Sports. I'm your host, Christian Rao, here with my co-host, Steve Feck, and we have another great episode for you today. We are days away. We are at the month mark. We are at the week mark. Now we are days away from college basketball tip-off. And today we're going to talk about the women's side. We're going to do a women's college basketball preview. It's going to be a fantastic time. Really looking forward to this. Really excited to dig deep into some of these teams. We're going to give you 10 teams that you need to pay attention to in this first women's preview. We're going to be talking about women's basketball all season long. Again, at Slasher U, we talk about all college sports. College basketball is a league for men and women. We're going to talk about them both here equally. Really excited for it. Steve, you excited to talk about this? I am. Hey, I shaved. I, I have a tie on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this, I wanted this to be special. Okay. And there's not much I can do with this to make it special. So the least I can do is put a tie on and shave up. But I, I agree with you. I think that w- women's college basketball has carved out, not a nick, it has carved out a chunk of the pie when it comes to NCAA viewership yes. and uh, and merchandising and uh, just just fan bases. I mean, the Pac-12's new TV contract, the major selling point was having women's college basketball as an equal featured event with their new networking and their new uh, network contract. So that, to me, tells me people care about women's college basketball. And just because it's easier to cover the men's side and there's so much information there, it's going to be worth us digging in mm-hmm. and, and, and learning more. And we're going to depend on you out there, women's college basketball fans. We're going to depend on you to leave comments, you know, uh, when you're watching you know, the episodes, let us know, Hey, what are we missing? Yeah. You know, is there a team where, I mean, and there's, I'm sure there's going to be teams we don't talk about tonight that uh, fans will be like, Oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about North Carolina state or whatever the team might be. We want you to help us do the best show for you. So please do be an active participant in our women's basketball coverage. I'm going to be watching plenty of college basketball this year, both on the men's and women's side especially when we get down to March, but it's going to start next week and it's not going to stop every day. There's going to be college basketball on men and women's starting Mm -hmm. on the 7th of November, which is absolutely exciting. Like Steve said, though, if there's a team that we're not covering, we're only going to 10 teams today. Plenty of storylines to talk about in women's basketball this year. We're only touching the surface. We're scratching the surface, if you will. So if there is a team you want us to cover, you want us to talk about, we'd be more than happy to because We love sports, and we want to dig into it. Leave us a comment below, and we'll dig into it. All right, Steve, let's get down, and let's talk about these 10 teams in no particular order. However, the first team we are starting off with is probably the consensus number one pick, and it is the preseason number one pick, and that is South Carolina. They are the defending national champions, and they return much of their entire team from last season. National Player of the Year, Aaliyah Boston, comes back alongside starters like Zia Cook. And Bria Beal, Victoria Saxon. To be completely honest, Steve, anything short of a national championship for this team with Don Staley, I mean, it might be considered a disappointment. What's your thoughts on South Carolina? Well, I think now South Carolina is the new Baylor, the new UConn. When, when they were in in their groove, when, when they were having, when they were at their apex. So, 
when you have a player like Aaliyah Boston, first team All-American, three years All-SEC, both SEC player and SEC defensive team, national player of the year, it's hard not to have a good chance at repeating. For me, I think how the point guard position plays out is what's going to determine whether South Carolina repeats or not. I, I, I think Zia Cook, she's a special basketball player, and she's not afraid to do, not the dirty work, but do do whatever job that Dawn Staley is going to ask her to do. She came up and said, look, I want to be the point guard this year. You know, we have a need there. I want to be the point guard. And, and where Staley might be hesitant to a certain degree to just have her exclusively pay the, play the point, that may be the stabilizing um, force that they would need to carry, let's say, into tournament play. And they can play around a little bit, you know, during this season. Freshman Talasia Cooper looked very good in an, in an exhibition game. She had 11 points, nine rebounds, six steals, two blocks. So she did a little bit of everything. I think you have to kind of ease her in, but certainly uh, at the very least, she would be the sixth, I guess we can't call him sixth man, sixth person, sixth person rotation, however you want to, we, have to, we want to offend anybody with this. But um, I think that's going to be her role to begin with. But if she can slide over to the point and then Zia Cook can play, in various situations, I think, again, a repeat it would not be a shock. Not only a repeat for national champion, but could you see Aliyah Boston repeating as the national player of the year? Like, I know that's something that doesn't happen too often in any sport because there is a high level of competition, but she just seems to be a clear favorite to do it again, Steve. There are two players that were unanimous first team All-Americans, and it was... Ms. Boston, and it was Caitlin Clark of Iowa. Uh, as we're going to talk about a little bit later on when we discuss Iowa, I, th I think Caitlin Clark might be the most exciting player to watch on the women's side at this particular point. But that's not saying that, that Aaliyah Boston is, is a, a, a subpar basketball player compared to Caitlin yeah. Clark. I just think Caitlin Clark is just that special. South Carolina is also going to basically return three experienced seniors in the front court. That is going to really help them when they get into conference play. I mean, all of the elite women's programs and most of them we're talking about are all going to play against each other at least once at some point in the early pre-conference schedule. But the SEC is loaded top to bottom you know, on the women's side. And I think having that experience, you know, in the front court is going to help them dramatically, you know, kind of weather the early challenges. And then once you get into the conference play, some of the younger players kind of start assuming larger roles. And I think roles, that's what they're going to be going on. I think South Carolina is going to go on a roll. And I, I, I don't see anybody seriously challenging them in the SEC. There's some really good teams in the SEC, but I don't think anybody's going to seriously challenge them. It's a matter as to whether they have an unexpected injury or unexpected bad game in a, in a tournament that would prevent them from repeating.
Yeah, I would not be shocked. I would actually be more shocked if we didn't see this team as a number one seed when we get to the tournament and then we don't see them at least into the final four. I mean, this is a team that, like you said, returning so much that it's if you're doing a prediction and then there's just you can't not put South Carolina in your your favorites for winning it all. Uh, and this team is just that good after what we saw last year from them. I mean, they really gave. I mean, UConn, it was good that they they came back and they had a great year. We'll talk about UConn in a minute. But in that national championship game, South Carolina just completely ran them out of the building. And they're bringing basically everything back. So lots to talk about. Plenty of top players on that squad. Speaking of top players, let's move on to our second team. And let's talk about Stanford and the Cardinals here. And they have two, which I consider top 10 players in the nation, Stephen, and Haley Jones and Cameron Brink. Yes, they're going to miss some players like Lexi Hall, who's doing a fantastic job with Indiana fever. Uh, although the fever didn't have a great year, Lexi did really good. She broke out, especially towards the end of the year. She's going to have a great career in the WNBA missing Lacey Hall, missing, you know, Anna Wilson. They did a great job there, but I think Tara Van Devers is going to be able to, you know, figure it out, get it back together. And I'm sure that we'll see Stanford continue their reign and be right in the mix. Just like we discussed with South Carolina, Steve. Absolutely. And Van Devers teams always play solid defense. They don't make a lot of mistakes. So that allows them to capitalize on the special talents like Haley Jones, who her coach has dubbed as being the Magic Johnson of the women's game. Now, that's pretty lofty praise. I mean, she's 6'1", so she's not... 6'9 like magic, but it gives you an idea of, of just the the breadth of skill sets that Jones has. She had to be rotated into, into a point guard field general position because of injuries and graduations last year. She adapted, uh, she blossomed. And I, I think, you know, she's going to get serious run as for player of the year, if everything falls into place for her. I mean, she's, she's a, she's a very uh, steadying influence on the court. Even when she was younger, even as a freshman, she just had that, that it that a Matt Johnson would have. So you can see why that comparison really came there, but Cameron Brink, she's projected by Lindy's and the Athletic to be a second-team All-American, it would not surprise me if she ends up evolving into the story and the player on this Cardinal roster. I mean, she just does everything well. You know, she could. You know, she she can rebound. She can shoot the perimeter. She can shoot the shots in the paint. She just does everything well and and she's a matchup problem for a lot of teams even even the the elite teams even the top 10 teams she's a matchup problem so i i think the starting off with those two i i think it's really really important stanford also added the number 1 freshman recruit in the nation in Laura Betts she's 67 so theoretically She's still growing into her body. So for her to grow to 6'9", it would, would not be all that surprising. But even at 7. Yeah. 
you know, she's going to be, again, another matchup problem. And she's someone else that can do everything. She plays defense. She can rebound. She can shoot inside. She can shoot outside. This is a player that is going to be a national player of the year within two or three years. That's how good that she is. Considering how many really talented freshmen are coming into the women's side of the game now. It's not like sporadic. I mean, there is a regular flow of five-star talent coming in to college basketball. For her to be the number one and for her to go to a team that arguably had they not graduated their entire starting backcourt, you would maybe be arguing harder for them to be the number one team preseason. I mean, as good as South Carolina is, that's how good Stanford is. But uh, this this is another team that you have to say something has to go wrong for them right. not to make the Final Four. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Pac-12 is going to be a very competitive conference. And we talked about just how important it was for TV deals to add into Stanford and the Pac-12 to, to do that. But when you look at the competition for Stanford, I believe they're on a different tier compared to probably who is in second place or third place like Oregon or UCLA in the women's conference. We're not going to really get to those teams in the today's 10. doesn't mean they're not bad teams. You know, both those teams are ranked in the top 25 and they deserve really should, but Stanford, I think is at another level in that PAC 12. I would be shocked to see them not win the PAC 12 championship this year. I think the women Cardinals are going to be fantastic. They're going to continue it on. And even with the absence of, you know, both the holes and, and Anna Wilson, I think they do have a, a great, great chance to find themselves back into the final four. Let's move on and let's talk about a team who I believe is on the rise. And I don't, I know I'm not the only other person who believes this because they have a record to back it up. And that's Vic Schaefer and the Longhorns. I mean, they had 29 wins last year. We're going back to back trips to elite eight. It's the most wins for Texas since 2016. This team looks exciting on paper, on the court, wherever you want to put it down. When you talk about teams and competition within the big 12, there's a lot of it. And we're going to talk about a few teams in the big 12 today, but we're going to start off with Texas because I think they are by a small margin, Steve, the front runner in the big 12. And by them adding through the transfer pool, two key parts. Okay. Sonia Morris, a little dynamite guard, and Taylor Jones from Oregon. Morris came from DePaul. You add that into what's already in place. And I think now Schaefer really does have the depth that he desires. I think he can afford to rotate more players in and play in an aggressive style. And certainly throughout the big 12 aggressiveness is probably the, the one thing you notice the tenacity in the big 12 on the women's side that uh, may be unmatched in any conference. I mean, I mean, the sec is a great conference, but I don't know that that tenacity and that hard nosed, that hard edge is, is as, as present there in the SEC as you do have it in the Big 12. But by having that depth, maybe they get over that hump because it just seemed they got to the eight and, and you know, they were impressive in, you know, in conference play, the conference tournament, the first, you know, the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. 
But then it just seemed that they just didn't have the horses to run with the teams that would eventually go on to the final four. And I think Shaper will have this team ready and the conference will help Texas get ready for tournament for the tournament grind. And again, I, I, I don't know if this is a year for them to get to the final four, but I do think that um, they're going to, they're going to be certainly in the top 10 all year. And it's not, wouldn't be surprising to see them in the top five for parts of the year. Yeah, I think their best bet is winning the Big 12 and getting themselves into the second weekend, maybe, you know, getting themselves to the Elite Eight. Uh, I can see them, you know, I can see them getting departed in the Elite Eight, and I still think that's really successful. That's three Elite Eights in a row. So obviously they're looking for that next step. Does it happen this year? I think they have potential, but there's a lot of really good basketball squads out there. I think point guard Rory Harmon is up for a huge breakout season. If she can do that, then I think we find that we get over that hump. We make it to the final four. I think that's where I'm going to even put that line because this team is just as good as last season, just as good as the team before 29 wins is a lot of wins, Steve. Can they do that again? Can they get a really good seed into the tournament? It's hard to say because again, 29 wins is a lot, but I wouldn't be shocked to see it happen. I wouldn't be shocked to see them win the big 12 and continue deep into this to the NCAA March Madness. Yeah, there's one thing I want to touch on that this Texas program has done, and it it really is. We talk a lot about it when we do our college football podcasts, or when we're talking about Duke or North Carolina. You know, Villanova teams that have tradition. You know, uh, on the on on the men's side of it, women's squads as a rule are a lot more involved with their fan base and in their community. Now, this just past weekend, Texas and DePaul had an exhibition and all of the proceeds went to raise funds for a project to rebuild the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. And this was spearheaded by their transfer in from DePaul. And she reached out to her old team and said, hey, would you come down for this exhibition scrimmage, whatever it is, we're going to raise all this money. Vic Schaefer himself said, I, I will donate personally a thousand dollars for every thousand um, tickets that get sold. They were hoping for 10,000. The attendance was around 3,500. So not quite what they wanted, but that's what makes programs special and what brings teams together. So that's where Dane, Texas is a dangerous wild card in all of this because I think there is a team unity here. I mean, every I'm not saying that other teams don't have that unity, but there's something special here with this particular squad. Yeah. You know, it's for, it's for them to rally behind not only their community, but ha have that initiative spearheaded by a transfer. That says a lot about what Texas, this Texas team thinks they could do. You talk about that. This that's a way more important than I think you're giving it credit to. And the story is fantastic, by the way. But cohesion, especially at this time in college basketball, whether it's the men's or the women's, whatever you're looking at, with this new transfer portal process, the one and dones, whatever, you, whatever problem or solution, however you want to call it, it is. It's a, it is some sort of problem to the actual program itself, right? Because the cohesion is normally not there. 
Now, we have some teams taking certain strategies where they do see juniors, seniors stay with the team for three, four years, sometimes even with the Mm -hmm. COVID year, five, six years now, right? And then we see success with that happening. This could be one of those teams that have cohesion and does, and it just gets them over the top. This Big 12 is not anything to bat an eye at. We've noticed this past year in almost every sport we paid attention to, the Big 12 is absolutely one of the deepest conferences from top to bottom. It's not going unmentioned in almost every sport we talk about here on Slasher U, right? So um, cohesion could be exactly what Texas needs to find themselves getting over that hump and getting into their first Final Four after making it to the Elite Eight two years in a row. Maybe getting a 30-win season and getting the most wins since 2016 instead of what they did last year. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Let's talk about a team I know you're really excited to talk about, Steve, because we've kind of already teased it. And just based on the research, I know how high you are on her, and that's Iowa. Let's talk about the Hawkeyes here. Caitlin yeah, Clark, Mike, Monica, yeah. Monica Serrano. I mean, the, the Hawkeyes, they finished with as co-champions with Ohio State last year in the Big Ten. I, the, the ability to continue that outcome and do it again for Iowa and be on the top, maybe not as a co-champion, but all by themselves, I believe they can absolutely do that. I feel like there's probably no other team in the country, especially in the Big Ten, that can score or outscore them when they are completely on their game. This is a team where I can see, I know we're talking about a lot of high leverage, high energy teams, but this is a team where I can easily see in the final four this year. Oh, absolutely. And if my instinct is correct, both the men's and the women's Iowa program are going to be in the final four. Yeah. I remember if you, if you notice, if you pay attention to our slasher, you projections, you did say Iowa, the men's side was going to be final four. So now you're calling both pretty, and you're not, you're not from Iowa. You're not an Iowa fan. So this is something that's coming from your thought process and based on research. Research. And then Iowa is one of the few programs on the women's side that I can say, I will make it a point of watching every time that they're on TV. And that really goes through Caitlin Clark. I mean, she led the nation in scoring. You know, I think it was 27.1, I believe, was what, what, what the percentage was. She's just dynamic. You cannot take your eyes off of her if the camera keeps her you know, in the shot. And really, Caitlin Clark's not ever very far from where the ball is or where the action is on the defensive end. She's she's just a joy to watch. So for me, preseason, with my limited uh, in-depth knowledge of the women's uh, side of the of the uh, of the game right now, I mean I love watching it. But as far as really knowing the nuts and bolts, I'm far more versed in the men's game than I am on the women's. But I love to watch women's basketball. Caitlin Clark. It, she's going to be one of those things where you literally plan your week around whether she's going to be on TV or not, at least for me. That's how special a player that she is. And you mentioned Ms. Ms. Cisnaro. She's a beast. Okay. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that, you know, in, in, in a mean way. I mean, she just, she rebounds. She has a nasty streak yet. You always see her on the sideline, you know, smiling and laughing with her teammates. You know, I mean, she just plays hard-nosed basketball. And it's even though she's from Minnesota, in interviews, she always talks about remembering going and traveling to watch 
Iowa bat, the Iowa women's basketball teams when she was younger and when she was in high school. That combination just by themselves might be the best one-two punch on the women's side. And that, again, saying a lot. We've talked about some great teams, we, and we're going to be getting to several others here tonight. It, it, it's, it just, it's, just a, it's a lethal one-two punch, and I don't see how anybody in the Big Ten is going to keep pace with them. And I believe there's enough depth and, 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 re, and returning role players that Iowa's going to just set themselves up unless they get in some kind of horrendous tournament draw. They're going to be able to not cakewalk to the Final Four, but they're going to have one of the easiest times, I think, getting to the Final Four. Having faith in this squad to do so well in the Big Ten is nothing to bat an eye out because this Big Ten conference is really difficult. I mean, no other conference has more in the AP preseason top 25 in the Big Ten. You talk about teams like Ohio State, you know, Maryland, Indiana. I mean, the, the list goes on and on with how well this conference is. But Iowa sits on top for a reason, and it does really sit behind Caitlin Clark. And I think that that is going to be the absolute you know, reason why we see them deep into the end of March, into April, and, and possibly going for a national championship. I'm really looking forward to seeing if that can happen. Gabby Marshall at the point is is an under is an unheralded part of what makes this team go. I'm always talking about guard play, but again, Gabby combined with Caitlin Clark, I mean they just play off each other, you know, their their strengths balance each other out and make each of them better players. I, I can I, I could go on literally for this entire show about the Iowa Hawkeyes uh, squad this year. I, that's how highly I think of them. I agree. I think that this team is going to be really good. A lot to talk about. A team that I was very excited about heading into this season was the UConn Huskies. And I think this is probably one of the biggest storylines that if you don't really follow college basketball on the women's side, you still probably know the story about Paige Becker's torn ACL out for the season, arguably one of the best players in all of college basketball. I don't even think that's an argument. I mean, she is one of the best players in college basketball. She's already said that she's coming back next season, which is great for UConn. Huge victory there, but not a huge victory for how they're going to compete this season. A lot of faith has to be sitting on, on FUD. I mean, that is really where it has to go. That backcourt combo between FUD and, and Becker's, how amazing that would have been, mm-hmm. we're just never going to know, unfortunately, with her being out. That front court with Edwards as well, and we have a couple graduate transfers coming in. Can UConn get back? There is there is a expectation for UConn basketball on the women's side since the early 2000s. I mean, you could probably go even farther than that, but UConn women's basketball has an expectation. And Paige Becker's injury, although that she was supposed to lead this squad, her being out does not change that expectation for them being the front runners or should be front runners of the Big East, Steve. That's because really, like you said, for, for 25, 30 years, the elite players were expected to want to go play at Connecticut. That's a credit 
to the growth of the women's game that you've had programs like Baylor and Tennessee and Stanford and South Carolina now, and we, and we're leaving a whole bunch of uh, Tennessee, a whole bunch of teams out that are really you know, uh, building tradition. But this might be an instance this year of karma just smacking the Huskies back for all of the good karma they've had for such a long stretch for their ex with all the injuries that they've had, they had nine players dress for their exit. That's all they had. They only had nine players dress for their exhibition game. I mean, you talked about Beckers being out. Ice Brady had a freak non-contact, but very serious tendon injury. She's out for the year. She's not going to be back. Uh, they just had uh, Carrara had knee surge, was not affected. So she's not available right away. And then they had um, Westbrooks, who was a transfer. She had uh, put an application into the NCAA to ask for a transfer waiver to allow her to play right away. And rather unexpectedly, the NCAA denied it. So now she's out for at least another week, maybe longer until the appeal process goes on. So, I mean, all of these things keep just keep hitting Gino Ariyama's squad. And Gino Ariyama, again, the, the players that are there are still very, very good. But you, you can't go into a college basketball season with nine players that you can count on on a regular basis. I and mean, that's, that's not even saying nine players rotate in. All they have is nine players right now. I'm sure that there are some people that could – play as walk-ons um, that, that are there on campus that perhaps uh, wouldn't have gotten the chance to walk on, but now they, they may be given a chance because of all the injuries and because of the issues with, with the, with the, the transfer waiver. You, you, you can never count out UConn. So at this stage, are they a top 10 team? I would say not a top 10 team. A lot of the uh, publications and sites do not have them in the top 10, but they are a core hub college women's basketball game. So everybody's going to talk about them. And I think this will maybe have the people that have been resentful of Gino Oriyama and the UConn program over the years Maybe now they will watch them with a greater appreciation, especially if Oriyama can milk the absolute most out of every single player that is healthy and that is available on the roster. And maybe now you're like, oh, I get it. It's just not because they have great players. It's a culture. It's a tradition. It's, you know, uh, an offensive scheme. It's what they do on defense. And maybe they'll have a greater appreciation as, as UConn as a program, as opposed to be being that client that needs to be slain. I know that UConn was very resilient last year in their trip to the national championship. And it obviously wasn't uh, a normal UConn team that we were used to seeing. But when's the last time we've seen Gino have to overcome something so intense as this team it's been a very long time if ever every program has serious injuries and every program has you know illnesses or some kind of setbacks or whatever it is but but not like this UConn was already I hate to even use the word reeling because that because that's just not 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 really fair but they have lost 
out on a lot of top recruits lately. Mm -hmm. um, some programs may be more wide open, less uh, restrictive. So players maybe want to go to those programs or have an opportunity. They don't want to be uh, the second team. They want to be the first team. So they've already sort of been affected by the fact that they aren't automatically getting the best players. So again, Oriyama recruits players that are mentally tough and that are going to buy into the program. The fact that they tend to be the elite talent makes it great, but this might be a situation where UConn will get to the tournament, but to expect a run to the final four again, um, I, I just don't see how it's practical unless uh, a, some walk-ons uh, surface can fill in roles for the people that are injured and the and the players that they do have just have literally career seasons, all of them. It's going to be one hell of a storyline and plenty of stories to talk about with the UConn Husky squad. I mean, it's, they're a good basketball team. And it's going to be still a great time to watch them throughout the season. And when we do get to March to see if they can make one of those, another overcome just like they did last season. It's a little, the mountain's a little higher this year, I would say. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on over to the Lady Vols of Tennessee. We got a mix of transfers and some key returners for Kelly Harper on this new, new roster for her. I really like looking at, you see the leader in scoring here, Jordan Horston. I think that she can really be good. She led in scoring, rebounding and assist and steals really before her elbow injury uh, in February. So hopefully we can get her back and be and healthy. It looks like everything is good there. Some transfers though, Steve coming in from the big 10 and in the sec itself, this team has the opportunity to sit in the top 10 all season long. If they can continue to stay healthy, as I mentioned before, and with that transfers, as we've mentioned a kind of early on this podcast, having that continuity and consistency with each other. Well, Tennessee had four volunteers, all puns intended, join the program. Nice. Thanks. None bigger than all SEC forward from Mississippi State, Rikia Jackson. Combine her with Hurston and Key. They have 10 returning players from a Sweet 16 team. Plus you're adding four impactful transfers. And I don't even know that all the transfers, as, as ballyhooed as they are, I'm not even sure they're even going to start. That's how deep Tennessee is. And they are well coached. Players love playing there at Tennessee. If it was not for just the sheer breadth of talent for the Gamecocks in South Carolina, Tennessee would could be an easy favorite to come out of the SEC. This is the kind of team, because of the experience and the mixture, okay, maybe there might be some chemistry issues. There, there there's, Coaches always talk about that um, early in the year. They'll certainly be challenged with some of the games they play early in the year. But because they have so many players returning, and they're role players and they're used to playing roles as opposed to having to be dependent on to be the stars. That that makes Tennessee 
very intriguing if you're trying to project out early uh, and, and you're trying to maybe lay a little wager to make your women's college basketball a little more interesting. I bet you you could get some decent odds on Tennessee making the Final Four, uh, but that's not a reflection of how good this team could be. Will they be better than South Carolina? I I don't know. I think it's just one of those deals. You know, it's sort of like SEC in football, either Alabama or Georgia. Somehow one of them, as great as they might be, falls short because the other is so good. And I think it's going to be, that's the case here in South Carolina. Uh, I I just love this Tennessee team. I really, really do. And the more research I did, the more I realized that I have to make sure that I have SEC network in my, uh, in my TV package. And, and because that's where the bulk of competitive intense games might be this year is in the SEC. Oh, absolutely. Especially between those two squads of South Carolina and Tennessee, you talk about, you you probably get some good odds on if, um, you know, if Tennessee, can beat South Carolina or make it to the final four. Well, maybe what if they can win the sec? That's probably the most impressive thing. Could Tennessee win the sec over South Carolina? I mean, I lean towards no because that South Carolina team is just so dang good, but I wouldn't rule it out completely. This Tennessee squad is, is very good in itself. Speaking of a lot of transfers, which we saw with Tennessee, who, like you said, might not even be a starting part. But a lot of transfers, the transfer portal was the story in South Bend. We talked about Notre Dame and the Fighting Irish there. We saw a decent amount of transfers come in to really revamp this entire squad for Notre Dame. Are they going to be able to find a way to push forward and be one of the top teams in the ACC and maybe see them into the second weekend and beyond, Steve? Certainly the potential is there. And the irony is that Coach Ivy's not a big fan of the transfer portal. She has lost a lot of key players. Now, admittedly, three of the players that are now playing as 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 graduate when they transferred out, they they got their degrees and they're now attending another school for their masters. So they they have one year of eligibility left. So, okay they were going to have to replace them anyway. If they were just going to even just graduate, they would have to replace them. But Notre Dame is a a destination in almost every sport. They're they're a destination. So I I think when you rely on transfers, maybe you struggle at the beginning. But the key part of having these transfers come in For the first time, the players remaining, none of the players that Coach Ivy has recruited has transferred out. So these are her players. Transfer players coming in through the portal, yes, it was necessity because they had to fill some holes. They didn't really expect to have to have so many transfer players come in. But the fact that they're going to now mesh with the players that Ivy has brought in, I think that does open up doors and windows of opportunity for Notre Dame to 
make a statement in the ACC, especially come tournament time, and make a serious run in the, in the tournament. I, I don't think they're not a Final Four team. I don't think they're an Elite Eight team even. But I think that they are uh, going to be a fun squad to watch evolve and mesh as the season goes on. They're going to literally get better, better, and better as the season goes on. I mean, you talk about meshing. That's exactly what they need to do. That cohesion, as we keep talking about on this show, will it happen? I mean, we're talking about six major transfers from some pretty decent schools, might I add. Lauren Ebo from Texas, Kylie Watson from Oregon, Jenna Brown from Stanford, Sam Brunel from Virginia. We got Anya Peoples from DePaul, and then Abby Prokoska from San Diego State. All those going to be on the squad for Notre Dame. This team has to find a way to mesh. And if they can find a way to mesh, then I can see them being one of the front runners in the ACC, getting a good seed, finding themselves into possibly the Sweet 16. That would be, I think in my mind, that would be a win for Ivy Squad if they could do that. Yeah, and Olivia Miles is going to be a big part of that as well. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Notre Dame has... Plenty of opportunities to find themselves in a good position when Smart Man- March Madness comes around. What I am most excited about, to be honest, to see is can they lead the ACC? I think they have a good shot at being the front runner in the ACC. I think they have to worry about teams like Louisville. Don't get me wrong, you know Virginia Tech. There are some other teams out there, but Notre Dame does have that shot. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about possibly is this the best team in history? for the Iowa State Cyclones with the women's Cyclones here, the bar is set very high for Iowa State this year. I mean, they had 28 wins last season. They bring back a pretty decent amount of players. Four of the players who started 30 or more games are back, including the All-American Ashley Jones, who averaged 20.3 pounds, 20.3 points in nine rebounds last season. Iowa State is in a good spot, just like I said mentioned earlier when we started talking about Texas. I think Texas just has the inch on being the front runner in the Big 12, but Iowa State's right behind them, Steve. Yeah, and then could there be two women's teams from Iowa in the Final Four? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, I mean, we've been gushing about the SEC, but again, the Big 12, top to bottom, you compete every night in the big 12, there's not going to be any nights off. You can argue in the sec. There are nights that you can't totally mail it in, but there are some nights that maybe you can rest some players, maybe not play them 30 minutes, maybe play them 23, 24 minutes, whatever, uh, get your bench involved. That's not necessarily the case in the big 12 as much. Uh, Ashley Jones coming back is just huge, huge Mm -hmm. for Iowa state's, tournament things they won 28 games last year and honestly a lot of people think they're going to win more than that what is going to stop iowa state texas. from surprising well texas that's about but, it. i mean that's really the only thing right texas won 29 games last year so who wins more games uh who has the higher seat maybe it might not even be texas maybe both these teams are just fantastic and okay one of them gets the nod at the big 12 uh but I mean, they'll probably be on different sides of the bracket once we get to uh, once we get to the March Madness. Yeah, and then again, guard play, guard play, subliminal message. I don't feel like play. we. I don't think we said that on this show yet today. So there it is. That one. Uh, if you uh, didn't no, say I, it, 
I did. I did with Iowa. Ironically. Okay. I did good. No, it was like, okay. We waited fifty so, minutes until you said it. That was a record. So maybe it's maybe it's an Iowa bias here as far as guard play goes. But yeah. Emily Ryan uh, distributes the ball well. She has great court vision. She's a great defender. Having a good point guard in the women's game may be more important than having a consistent inside presence and a dangerous outside shooter. I, I really think in the women's game, everything goes through that point guard position. And that's why you see a lot of players rotate in and out of that position based on matchups, you know, whoever the opponents might be, because the way that the offensive flows tend to happen, it seems to come from the point guard position in the women's game. Not that it doesn't in the men's game. But I, I think more so that every team wants to have that point guard that they can depend on day in, day out. And I think they have that in Ryan. They did bring in, I believe her first name is Stephanie. It's Stephanie I think it's Stephanie Soares. She was a two-time NAIA National Player of the Year, is transferring in. And... You can debate all you want about NCAA and then Division II, Division III, NAIA. Sometimes, you know, there are situations where a player needs to stay close to home or play for a smaller program for whatever reason. And until they mature emotionally, uh, physically, not everybody develops at the same rate. But if you're the national player of the year at any level, that means that you can play basketball. And if she can fit in and start contributing right away, I think Iowa State, literally, if they're not in front, they're right behind Texas, breathing down their neck. Yeah. And that's gonna that's gonna make for a really interesting February as these two teams, you know, the intensity builds up and they can't afford to lose to anybody. It'll be interesting to see how they hold up going into the Big 12 tournament and setting up their seeding for the NCAAs. In the major conferences, I think that'll probably be the closest one-two punch when mm -hmm. it comes to who will be the first place, who will be second place. We know we talk about, you know, South Carolina, Tennessee, and the SEC. We talk about, you know, we had co-champions in the Big Ten last year. I don't think it's going to be as close as Texas and Iowa state. Now there's some other teams in the big 12 that are still great too. Like, you know, we're not going to count out Baylor and, and other teams as well, but I think that we're going to see Texas and Iowa state battling it out for the big 12 for the, for the very top before we head into March madness. We originally had Baylor in as one of the things we wanted to talk about, but I think I just beat you down enough with Iowa state that uh, we, we substituted them. That's not a snub of Baylor by any means. I think they're a great program, but I just think Iowa state, this is their moment in time where they could really have a magical season where if ever, I mean, again, we keep saying if everything falls into place, they don't need to have a lot of luck. If they just play their game and all the players stay healthy and play to the best of their abilities, it could be a magical season there for Iowa State. Completely agree. All right, we talked about Tennessee. We talked about South Carolina. Can they? Which one will win the SEC? But we didn't talk about the team who finished second in the SEC last year, and that's Kim Mulkey's LSU squad. She's coming into her second season. Like I said, they 
looked really good in the regular season in the SEC conference. However, they did have a second round exit last year in the NCAA tournament. This Tiger squad is much younger. So makes you wonder if there's going to be some question marks with this. Can LSU return back to being the second place, being able to run with the SEC and finding a way to get past the second round in this year's NCAA tournament, Steve? Kim Mulkey could flat out coach. Mm -hmm. You know, you could give her a bunch of junior varsity players for whatever reason the varsity couldn't play. And she could turn them quickly into a competitive winning team. Maybe maybe they're not going to be a conference contender in that situation, but she could just flat. She's just a great coach. She's a great recruiter. Bringing in Angel Reese through the transfer portal from Maryland, the kind of player that you can rely on in big situations. She makes the players around her better. I think Maryland's going to miss her more than a lot of reports on paper might indicate. Uh, she, 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 she's a difference maker and she does it differently against whatever opponent she's matched up. I mean, whatever she's asked to do, she can do it. So I think just her presence added to this LSU program. I don't, I don't think that Mulkey is, has truly brought in all of the types of recruits that she wants to yet. This is only her second year. And LSU is already, you said they finished second last year. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think they'll, they'll stick around. They'll hang around the top of the sec. I, I, I don't know that they can overcome South Carolina and Tennessee, but this program, we're looking at a program that's emerging. Okay. the, The roots are planted it's starting to sprout, and it's really going to blossom, I think, next year and for the next couple of years. I think LSU is going to be in the national title consideration going forward. It might be a matter of not quite yet. We'll have a great year, exciting basketball. If, if, you, if, you, want to, if, you, if you enjoy watching coaches in-game, and the, the the influence and the impact they have, this is the team you want to follow. I mean, you're going to you're going to see a well coached. She doesn't sit there and let the players just play. I mean, she knows their talents, and she designs systems and plays to maximize those talents. But when you're watching an LSU women's game, pay attention if you can on the coaching job that Kim Mulkey. It's it's special. I'm with you. I think this is a team that is just a year or two out. So if you want to watch a squad that is building their foundational pieces for the future, pay attention to the LSU Tigers. Our our final team of this 10-team preview for the NCAA Women's College Basketball Preview for 2022 and 23 is no other than the Princeton Tigers, ranked 24th in the preseason AP poll, which I think is really neat to see. Steve, I know you're a huge fan of Princeton. They got some early – initially when I looked at the schedule, the biggest thing that came out to me is, man, they bring back some good starters. This team mm-hmm. can really take off and do some big things, but they're going to be challenged right away. We talk about you know some really fun games at the beginning of the season. Well, on the women's side, they involve Princeton. We're going to see them challenged right off the bat, some early season schedules against Connecticut, 
which we talked about earlier, and Texas, which we talked about earlier. Both those in our 10-team preview, both those teams really can can do some fantastic things. Can Princeton find a way to win against either of those teams and find themselves in good position as we head to March? I think they're going to be in great position come March. I think that they are by far the class of the Ivy League. The tough schedules are designed. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise. This is what they want to do. They realize that in order for them to do damage in the tournament later, they have to see what they're going to face, what they may be up against in the tournament. They're not going to be a two seed or a three seed. They're probably going to be middle of the pack. You know, they might be a 12 seed or an 11 seed, you know, but by facing teams that simply have more depth and more four and five star recruits than Princeton will ever get. Because again, Princeton academics is what gets you into Princeton, not your jump shot. Okay. Not your ball handling skills. It's an academic first institution and not that other schools like Duke or Stanford, Notre Dame, there's a Northwestern. There's a lot of schools out there that academics are much tougher than some of their competitors in their own conferences. But Princeton does this year in, year out because they want their see This is where you need to develop. This is where you need to get to in order to come tournament time. If you're taking care of business in the Ivy League and we get the automatic bid, you're going to know, okay, maybe we failed in this game against UConn, or maybe, you know, you know, maybe we couldn't, you know, beat whoever might be on the schedule. But come tournament time, you know what you need to do now. And they're preparing themselves in practice, not just for who they're playing in the Ivy that week. They're preparing themselves for what they will face in the tournament. I think Princeton being ranked this low will change as the year goes on. I think you can see them sneak in the 15 to 20 range. Uh, that would not surprise me. And that would obviously do wonders for their tournament seeding. But it, it's a nod to me because I'm a Princeton sports fanatic. So, so Christian, you were kind enough, you know, showing respect for your elders to let us talk about Princeton. <laughs> but Princeton's the program that one team or two teams every year in the tournament on both sides, but especially on the women's side, come out of nowhere. And you're wondering, you're like, well, where'd they come from? South Dakota State's another program. I mean, you can go through and just schools get into that tournament and they play tougher schedules out of conference schedules. And then suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute. How, how did they beat this team from the ACC or the Big Ten or the, you know, the Big East or whatever it would be? That's why I wanted to talk about Princeton to kind of encourage those of you, especially those of you that are that are not already uh, regular fans of of the women's game, don't just look at the major conferences. It's fifteen years ago, yeah, you had to you had to focus on the major conferences, and maybe there'd be some good stories here and there. But you really have to look top to bottom all the conferences. There's going to be one player or one team that you say and say, wow, I had no idea about them. And Princeton's sort of the poster child for that kind of team. I love it. Fantastic. That's going to wrap up our 10-team preview here for the women's college basketball. 
We are going to have so much more women's college basketball on Slasher U throughout the season. We're only getting started because the season is just getting started. If we didn't cover your team, leave us a comment. Let us know. Let us Give us a reason to focus on that team even more. Not like we need one, but it wouldn't hurt. I'm Christian Rao here with Steve Feck. You can find us on Twitter. You can find my personal one at Rao Report. And you can find Steve at the Feckless Wonder. And you can always find us on Twitter at Slasher Sports and as well at SlasherSports.com. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and give us a like, comment, and subscribe. Hit that bell button as we give you videos daily, every day. Steve, it was a blast. I'm looking forward to this season to tip off. No, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. And, and honestly, being, I don't want to say forced, because I, I welcome the opportunity to follow the women's uh, conferences and competition this year. I want to learn more about it. So I think this preview, I may be more about it. I'm probably more clueless than in any of the previews we're going to do. But I'm more excited about this one because it's it's a great learning process. And you're going to help us with this learning coach uh, curve out there. So please do let us know what team we need to talk about. Absolutely. All right, everyone. We'll see you back here for another episode as we continue on this fun, fun trail here at Slasher U. We'll see you back here next time. Take care.